Welcome to CFS Podcast by Lablico, a show to discuss and accelerate the transition to a digital circular fashion system. I'm your host, Nick Hollins, Chief Communications Officer and partner at Lablico and CFS. What does it mean to digitize the physical world of fashion and how does this improve our environmental footprint? On Sunday, February 28, CFS Seminars hosted our first talk on Clubhouse, uniting fashion industry leaders from academia, design, and technology to discuss how fashion is evolving through digitization into a connected circular economy. If you haven't heard, Clubhouse is a popular, still sort of new voice-first social app. Our first Clubhouse seminar was Dynamite. Highly recommend that you listen into this episode. Our topic is building the digitized fashion industry. Speakers for this seminar include Barack Kakmak, co-founder of the Digital Fashion Group, Nick Mitchell, CEO of FXGVR, Spencer Badu, founder and creative director at Spencer Badu, and Alexia Planis-Lee, founding partner at CFS by Lublico. You will hear about digital twins, designing with digital in mind, how virtual reality and augmented reality is evolving fashion in new ways and much more. Keep an eye out for upcoming events. For more information, visit circularfashionsummit.com. Thanks again to our partners, Unity and Unilever for making all of this possible. Check out the description to learn more about their amazing work and how they are reaching the CFS goals, contributing together with CFS Catalyst to achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals 2030. Let's kick it off now with Daniel Magunje from Circular Fashion Summit to introduce our first CFS seminar on Clubhouse. For those uh, new faces that I see, uh, welcome home. Circular Fashion Summit by Lablico is a global collective action summit supporting the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We gather leaders of change in design, tech, and sustainability to accelerate circular fashion and set three measurable goals to be achieved collectively every 12 months. In today's seminar, we'll be diving into building the digitized fashion industry together with our speakers that come from across disciplines in academia, design, and tech. This seminar will look at how fashion is evolving through digitization into a connected circular economy. I am delighted to welcome the speakers, Barack Kakmak, the co-founder of the Digital Fashion Group. With more than 20 years of vast experience in the industry, Barack has worked across multiple fields, from education to strategic consultancy, and now the newly appointed CEO of Saudi Arabia's Fashion Commission. Nick Michel, CEO of FXGVR, Nick is a VR industry veteran and previously co-founder and CEO of China's first uh, VR community, which was later outbought by Facebook-owned uh, Oculus. And Spencer Badu, founder and creative director of Spencer Badu, with futurism, rebellion, and uniform as the main design components. His approach to journalist staples celebrates sustainability and individualism. And lastly, we'd love to welcome Alexia Planisli, founding partner and head of Impact Design Hub and Innovation Hub at the, CF, at the CFS um, by Lablico. Alexia's mission is to 
curate a selection of designers and innovators leading the change inside the fashion industry. In contributing to reaching the summit's sustainable goals, Alexia overviews the IoT pilot projects, creating fully traceable and connected items with the hub's participants. Barack and the speakers, the stage is yours. Thank you so much, Daniel, and it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm so happy that I'm sharing this conversation with Nick, Alexia, and Spencer as well. And uh, I personally have gone through this journey of uh, how fashion is digitalization, uh, going through digital transformation. And as part of the Digital Fashion Group, it's been interesting to look at what is the impact of this on the education process itself. But I'm looking forward to talking to each of you now and to hear what you're doing in this space and really share your thoughts with the rest of the audience. So can we start with you, Spencer? It would be great to hear from you what your brand is about, what you're doing, but also... What is the journey you're taking to achieve circularity at the end of that? Hey, how's it going? Can, can everyone hear me okay? Yes, we can. Perfect, yeah, so um, similar to Daniel's amazing uh, introduction, uh, my name is Spencer Badu. I'm a fashion designer based in Toronto, Canada. Um, where do I start? So with me, the brand is it's rooted in it's rooted in the idea of uniform. So we're trying to basically go around the idea of trendy clothes that last the season, and we're trying to create something that's more permanent, uh, creating pieces that are more uh, consistent, subtle, yet um, directional enough to be, I guess, deemed as fashion. Ultimately, we're just trying to challenge garment creation as well as construction. So from a design level, as well as from a construction level, and now from a sustainable or circularity level. Um, for me, my journey has always been one that was a humble beginning. Um, I'm an independent designer. I went to school for fashion and after school, I kind of just started my career and that came with a lot of uh, lessons and a lot of experience. Um, from the beginning of my career, a lot of the stuff that we did was sustainable. So either using dead stock fabric, um, upcycling, or just working within our means where we don't really use uh, we don't follow the same tradition as bigger brands, obviously, um, whether it is doing fashion shows or working with big mills or big factories with high minimums. Uh, like I said before, we just kind of work within our means and that's kind of where we've been and we've kind of been taking the, the slow approach uh, as it pertains to growth. Um, and I think circularity is something that I'm, I'm not gonna lie, it's something that I'm, I'm really new to, like I think there's uh there's one thing about being sustainable but i think circularity is, is is the ultimate goal um we can make things that are made with recycle recycled fabric or um you know use an old fabric but ultimately we want to make sure that these clothes are going to be used for a long time and they're not wasteful so i think for me like my experience with cfs has been um it's definitely been one that's given me a lot of exposure, but also a lot of like mentorship to the process of circularity. I would say from a career standpoint, I'm, I'm kind of uh, more in a stage of sustainability. Um, and me and uh, the team is actually working on a, a few projects right now that are more circular. So that's kind of where I guess I'm at in, as it pertains to the topic. Okay, thank you, Spencer. I, I have a lot of questions, but I'll get to it after we go through with Alexia and Nick as well. Um, I'm uh, going to pass it to Alexia to get a sense of uh, two key initiatives that she's leading. One of them is uh, really building the blockchain process for Lablaco. 
And then another one, she's going to talk about a digital twin. So uh, Alexia, do you want to take the stage? Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you, Spencer. Um, you're really doing a fantastic job in applying sustainability and starting to think about circularity in your design process. Um, there's definitely an increasing appetite to know about this information from the consumer side. So it's relevant in this point to talk about the possibility of providing this information with the use of blockchain. Um, we've seen that brands have started to apply QR codes that you can scan and learn about the production details and the environmental impact of the garment that you have in hand. But as we know, it's crucial to implement circularity not only in the product journey before it reaches the customer, but also afterwards. So um, I'd like to take a step back here and emphasize the three main phases where sustainability and circularity need to be taken into account. The first one is materials. So are you using renewable and regenerative materials? Are you using renewable energy in manufacturing? Mm, are you using non-toxic chemicals and so on? The second one is the design and production process. So how much waste, for example, you're creating when generating prototypes and doing different testings of fabrics and finishings and colors. Um, this is where digital creation comes into play and uh, can make this process less wasteful. So this is the, the second topic that I'd like to talk about in a minute. And the third one is the usage phase. So what happens to the garment after the consumer is done using it? Because as of now, over 80% of unwanted garments that are thrown away end up in landfill. And this needs to change. So there are many ways in which the life cycle of a garment can be extended by reselling, swapping, repairing, recycling, upcycling. These are just some of the options. So how do we shift people's mentality from considering their clothes easily disposable to thinking it's worth giving it a second shot? Well, um, we would say the first step is to move from consumption to ownership, because once you own something, you feel a lot more responsible for it, right? And this is something that we want because we are all responsible as consumers for what happens to the garments after we purchase them. So how do we move from consumption to ownership? Well, with LabLaCoste traceability technology, what we're doing is not only to show the end customer the past journey of their garments on the timeline, but we're also adding them to this timeline. So likewise, if that garment were sold, for example, to, to a second consumer, then that second person can, con can continue to see the past journey of the garments, including who has owned it before them. And then this ownership of the piece is passed on from the first consumer to the second consumer. So in terms of circularity, this also means that brands can retarget the current owner of the garment and um, the way you can retarget them is, for example, by applying take-back programs where they offer to take back the garments in exchange of a discount of a new piece. So in this manner, on one hand, you have the consumer that has it easy to get rid of an unwanted garment in a way that is non-wasteful. And on the other hand, the brand can use that piece for recycling, upcycling, reselling, and instantly in this manner activates a circular business model. Um, so now tying back in the consumer experience with the topic that I left open earlier, I'd like to also talk about digital design and digital twins. 
So for anyone listening here that perhaps hasn't heard of um, this term before, a digital twin is essentially a detailed and realistic uh, digital representation of a physical object. So an example would be if, if any of you have AirPods or have seen someone open the case of their AirPods, on their phone screen, they will have a, a 3D digital version of the AirPods spinning. So this is basically what a digital twin is. And this can be applied also to virtual reality and augmented reality. So with digital twins, uh, products are no longer confined to the physical world. And I'm sure that here, Nick will also agree that once we cease to rely on what's physically existent, not only are the possibilities greater, but also our environmental footprint can be drastically lowered. So I'll give you an example of, um, of how this could happen with influencers, because on Instagram alone, um, there are 500,000 active influencers, and these are all receiving, you know, constantly receiving uh, samples that they're asked to promote. And these samples all come with packaging. This packaging is most of the time non-reusable, and also the garments are often just single-use garments. So they're just used one time for the picture, and then we don't really know, I mean, what the influencer decides to do with it. So here's where digital fashion can solve this issue. Um, for example, by using augmented reality to, to model the garment. And this would also remove the, the need to ship the physical one. So essentially, all these influencers would be sharing the same digital file of the garment instead of each one having to receive their own physical copy. And this is actually something that's not new to us. So take the, the, uh, the music industry, for example, where we've moved from CDs to MP3 files. Um, because before, if you, if you wanted to listen to a song, you know, you had to, every person had to go to the shop, get their own CD. And um, this meant many, many copies of, of plastic being produced. So now we have Spotify and other platforms where everyone is sharing the same digital file and therefore no physical waste is created from it. So similarly, um, this, can, this can also be applied to events and attending events where we can save CO2 emissions from, from taking the plane to, to attend the event. And um, here's where I would love to know what Nick, Nick's insights are in regards to how virtual reality plays a key role in this. Cool. Uh, first, I just want to say thanks uh, for having me on here. I think it's really important and it's cool what everybody's up to. Uh, I love uh, Spencer Badu's line, um, how it's totally gets the concept of circular and it's an integral part of how the objects are made, but it's not just like a factory committing to use green power, but it's actually a deep part of the brand and the look. And, and it looks awesome. And it's really cool that he's taken this like a uh, moral road and actually made it an asset and part of the look, which, yeah, I love to see. And with CFS, uh, I think that's such a key part of circular fashion is using technology and the way that they use it, it improves the circular chain, but it also really adds value to everybody. So it's something really cool that, that this technology is connected and now you can really be more circular, but you also get more. 
So it's not, people don't have to make a choice to kind of give up on so many things and starve themselves of quality products. They can actually get, get a better experience and more value while being circular. And yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how VR can be a part of that. Um, as Alexia said, a huge part is the carbon footprint. With virtual reality and, and fashion, it's a way, like I said, that you can increase the value of something without the expense of the environment or so many different places. Uh, like we did a project for Bottega Veneta and they had a, an event where they had us use VR film to capture it with a 360 camera. And it was basically like a walkthrough of the event where you could look at the gallery and see all these things almost as if you were there. And with that piece we made, it was, was viewed over 300,000 times. So over 300,000 people were able to attend and experience this, this event in some form in a much deeper way than just looking at a photo or a video, but the environmental costs of giving 300,000 people an experience, yeah, would, would be huge. But in the case of virtual reality, you can share it infinitely and it's, it, it really, it doesn't hurt. Um, I loved what uh, Circular Fashion Summit did last year for their, uh, their event and putting it inside of VR was so cool. People all over the world were able to join. I joined from China. There was people from all over Europe, from America, that this huge event where people could come have talks, network, they had all sorts of galleries. It, it was really that positive conference experience where I met so many people and got all, all kinds of contacts like I would if I went to a conference, but instead of people flying from all of those places all over the world to one physical space, everybody was able to tune in through virtual reality. And for me, I, I see that being a really key part of the future. As the technology evolves and it really gets better, VR will allow more of the offline experiences to be had. And that will really, yeah, it will give people more and it will hurt the world less. That in the future, as Alexa was talking about with digital twins and, and digital outfits and all of these things, you'll be able to own clothing and share clothing and exchange clothing and buy new clothing and, and all of these different experiences. And in some ways you can do it with, with almost a, a, a carbon footprint of nothing, which to me, that is amazing to allow people to virtually enjoy themselves, express themselves. Maybe Spencer Badu will, will be able to do a line inside virtual reality and, and he can create a thousand pieces or a, a, a thousand versions of every single one piece and it will just give us all the opportunity to do more um, without increasing our carbon footprint and really causing harm, which I think is, is what I see as the, the goal personally of circular fashion is to 
do things better, but not just better for the environment, but also better for creators and better for the people who enjoy the creations. Thank you, Nick. I mean, that's quite insightful. And I think, you know, we kind of covered the journey between different aspects of a design and creating garments using technology all the way to how technology is supporting the other way around. But I'm curious, I would love to get Spencer's reaction to it as well. This is Nick's comment. Spencer, does it make you excited or somewhat also fearful about the future of the physical garments? You're using tools to improve your impact and circularity. Uh, but what do you think about a digital-only sphere and uh, what would that mean for a designer like yourself? Yeah, I think for me, uh, luckily, I, I love I love to challenge the traditional formula of things. And I think coming into um, the fashion industry from a different uh, perspective, I, I really embrace technology and I embrace uh, new ways of thinking. And I agree, I think being uh, an independent designer, you save a lot of time and money when you can, you know, uh, make digital, for instance, like making digital samples instead of going through the process of designing, making multiple samples physically definitely saves a lot of time. So I think like the future is definitely digital and um, a lot of, I think the, it's funny, um, just uh, basically the fashion industry is something that's known to be something that's forward thinking and, um, exciting but at times i find that we're very slow to to change um I, and i think that's because the fashion industry is rooted in tradition and in, it's and it's rooted in a specific way of thinking and and usually the more we uh the more we move on to digital ways of of, of working a lot of people will in fact lose jobs and um and I think for the longest time, a lot of people have been trying to hold on to these different ways of thinking. If you look at last year, um, I think fashion shows wouldn't have been a thing, but some people still had fashion shows and uh, that meant there was still PR that was working. There was still um, fashion production companies. And I'm really interested to see what the future looks like um, without these kind of, um, uh, without these traditional ways of working, if that makes any sense, sorry. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense, but also, uh, I mean, you're definitely triggering this idea of what fashion is. And uh, what's uh, quite interesting is it has always been about newness, but that newness was always in a very structured framework. And you always had to follow the same process to introduce newness in that format. Suddenly the format is broken and uh, there's so much new technology coming on board. So designers like yourself that are ready to embrace this change and learn the new tools is potentially getting even more excited to experiment, see how you can be even more creative and push your own boundaries. But at the same time, there will be others, I think, that's going to be really challenged with what is to come. Um, so I just want to jump to Alexia as well. I mean, we talked about uh, blockchain, but uh, do you feel like there will be a moment where we may have blockchain for digital only products as well? Um, are you referring to traceability applied to digital twins, for example? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah even the digital twin or if it's a digital only garment that has never been produced, right? Uh, the, is there a value in even tracing these items? Uh, because ultimately it's the perception around creating value for what's being put out there. Um, definitely there is value to tracing uh, digital 
digital garments that haven't been produced. I mean, of course, there with digital garments, there isn't the element of uh, the fact that it's physical and the fact that it can eventually become physical waste. But I do think that um, tracing helps to build a community around a garment and can almost create hype around a garment. So for example, if you see in the timeline that your favorite celebrity or an influencer that you admire has worn it or has owned it before you, and then you're more incentivized to acquire that garment. Um, so by applying this to digital garments, what can happen is that there's a greater hype to acquire digital garments. Yeah, and therefore, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you, but also even to give the context of where I'm coming from is looking at the evolution of all these digital processes and the fact that you're amplifying the conversation around fashion and bringing to a space where even more of uh, garments can be created digitally and engagement can be done digitally. Ultimately, it, it cr probably creates more desired people to, with people to engage with fashion itself. Uh, so while we are pushing for circularity, of course, there are mechanisms, for example, we are looking at how do you keep it in system, reuse the garments. Uh, I think maybe another path is to satisfy our fashion needs partially through digital only garments themselves. And I feel like even tokenizing them and being able to uh, trace them in a certain way and have the ownership uh, potentially can satisfy the need to be able to use it only on our social media, for example, without ever mm -hmm. wearing okay. it. Okay, and, I see what and then mean. ultimately, it's it's opening that range of how do we engage with fashion, and some of it can be digital only products, which can become the new norm. Uh, and I think blockchain is a process where it actually increases the value of that digital engagement as well, because you can guarantee that you're the only person who has ownership to that garment. Uh, and the fact that all of us are spending so much time on the digital platforms, I think we care as much how we look, if not more, on social media than how we look on the street. <laughs> yeah, and, definitely. Uh, Especially now, I mean, with the pandemic, um, we're seeing less and less people. So social media is kind of one of the ways to keep your physical appearance <laughs> kind of alive. And <laughs> um, and also, yeah, as you as you mentioned, that's a good point. Some people you know, why do we consume clothes? Well, one of the reasons is to show other people. And a lot of a lot of people do that through Instagram or through social media. So being able to wear a garment just to show it on social media is definitely a concept that we could be moving towards. Yeah. And maybe just evolving from that, I'll just jump to Nick to ask a question around also uh, the, the evolution of avatars and our self-identity, how we represent ourselves in virtual reality, but also beyond that, uh, what are the other spaces? Do we see augmented reality becoming even more uh, prominent? Uh, is there a future with holograms? What kind of technologies you're seeing and any insights you can give around uh, the evolution to make it even more real for all of us? Yeah, well, I think as, as you said, the importance of, of kind of taking care of your social profile um, and the look that you give people on social media uh, with the epidemic that's growing, but I think it's also really growing with technologies like virtual reality. Um, like at the Circular Fashion Summit last year, I met up with Daniel at the summit. And it's like, I was at the summit and Daniel was at the summit. And it wasn't like we were both at home wearing VR headsets, but actually we were in another place interacting with each other. And 
when you're in virtual reality, your avatar is so much more because it's something that you control with your own hands and you look out of its eyes, just like I look out of like my meat avatar in the physical world. So I think with that, as the technology grows and people spend more and more time like engaging and in some ways living in these virtual spaces, they'll come to connect more and more with their virtual avatars as actually self. And as that happens, the value of fashion for yourself, even if it's in a digital way, will be huge. So I think we're going to see this only grow and not decrease. And other technologies are just going to, I guess, going to augment that. Like in AR, as that grows and we move from AR on your phone to actually AR on glasses that people will be wearing significant amounts of time, then an app that gives me a interesting hat isn't just a way for somebody to take their phone out and point it at me and see their hat, but it's something that I can choose to have on all day and have everybody see. And so these technologies are only going to make people care more and more about actually the fashion that they use now that these technologies enable it. And then even to put uh, the, the use of VR in context, how do you see it evolving? I mean, clearly uh, because of the pandemic, uh, we are all at home anyways. Uh, and this is leading to the conversation that we're gonna be seeing a much bigger population also working from home. Uh, but do you see a big shift even for entertainment? I mean, gaming is leading this obviously uh, around use of the VR headsets and, and that it creates opportunity for even more fashion moments in the VR space. You know, what are the benefits compared to, for example, doing just a regular video and putting it on a website? Yeah, I think it, it all comes down to the immersion of it and a regular video people will watch. Like if I look at an ad for a clothing company, I watched it. Like another project we did was for a Chinese-based uh, Canadian brand called JAC. And we did a tour of their offices. And it was a VR experience made for people to see in a headset. And when you put on the headset, you're actually standing there in the office. And you look around and you see their, their head designer, Rosemary. And she's there and you look around the space and your experience of it is a tour of there. And so you can say, I took a tour of their offices through VR. Um, we could have done the same thing with a VR, with a non VR video, but nobody would say I took a tour of their offices watching a video clip on Facebook. It's a completely different experience that doesn't, that you don't do. You, you passively observe traditional media but VR, you experience it in first person. And I think that's such a deeper experience. And people, I guess because of the pandemic, it's like pushing a lot of people to choose that. Like Circular Fashion Summit last year, would they have done that if the pandemic wasn't happening? Uh, I, I can't say for certain. It wouldn't have been as necessary. But I think now that it's been done and it was amazing and it was a great experience, People have realized that and it's like working from home. So many companies started remote because of the pandemic and realized, oh, whoa, this is a viable 
way to do business. And I think people are having the same realizations with virtual reality. And so when the pandemic ends and you can fly to another country for a conference, you're going to maybe choose to attend the virtual version of it because you can get a really similar experience and you can really attend. And again, that's the difference. As I said, you attend a virtual version of the conference. You don't sit at home and, and watch a video or listen to live streams of it, but you actually go there, which is so different than traditional media. Indeed. I mean, we talk about circularity, but also there are benefits to using technology uh, from a sustainability perspective, even for more uh, corporate matters, including travel and meetings and uh, being able to do things in the places that we live. And as a matter of fact, I experienced what you said personally, because beginning of the year, uh, I went through a journey of creating a company with two co-founders. Uh, fully remotely. We never met one time in person. Everything was done uh, over digital means. And we are all in three different countries and we were able to really progress that. So this would have never happened before the pandemic. Uh, we wouldn't even think wow. about it. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you're also seeing all the design houses uh, taking the risk and changing the formats even all the way to the uh, fashion shows. It's quite interesting to see at the moment, some of the brands decided to do different experiences with VR and presentations that are through video. Some of them are even, not even doing a, a physical show anymore. Uh, so the change is there. But I want to go back to Spencer as a designer. And you know this journey is not easy for a lot of people, especially for designers who has to first and foremost focus on the product. So, Spencer, I'm just curious, were you able to adapt uh, new digital tools for your brand easily? Did you have to learn a lot? Did you have to find the right partners to help you do it? And uh, are there other technologies that you would love to test, but you haven't gone there yet as well? Yeah, um, I think I think the great thing about this journey is that we're, we're taking it one step at a time. And, you know, I think from, uh, if you look at it from like, a grand skill it's very very uh it can be very daunting but like i said in the previous question i'm very excited about the uh, possibilities um the first the first um or the most recent uh i guess experiment that i did was um when we made a face mask last year we we actually made a digital um we made a digital form of the face mask before uh, actually making it and then we also made like a Instagram filter, which is really fun uh, also for like our community to interact with. And uh, going forward, we're actually trying to uh, incorporate Clow 3D into the design process to kind of circumvent uh, sampling and the the process of making uh, multiple samples. So at the moment, that's kind of like where we're at when it comes to technology, like a lot of Clow 3D. We do a lot of our patterns online already with like Gerber. Um, with in terms of like grading and marker making, but um, yeah, I think now we're we're kind of trying to use uh, technology more like a design um, on a design sense and a design process. No, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, Clo and Gerber, those are tools that I think fundamentally all designers have to start using. Uh, because it's becoming the standard and it actually introduces a lot of efficiencies, including sustainability benefits because of the fact that you don't have to do as many samples even. 
And uh, are you also looking at uh, doing uh, sales that are much more custom order? Uh, so it's more made to order idea. Is that something you're trying to experiment to see that you can only produce what's available? Or are you looking at other models such as rentals or, or secondhand garments that goes either into your product or, or that you collect it back to re repurpose them and resell them? Yeah, so um, at the moment, a lot of the stuff that we do produce is uh, mainly for retailers. And then um, when it comes to like our online store, we really try to um, make things to order or we just kind of make things in, in small quantities. Um, I haven't really got to a point of uh, like, for instance, a, a buyback program or anything like that. But uh, recently I've been thinking about an idea of because our clothes are very minimal, I've been thinking of uh, kind of having this kind of like seasonal progression of a garment. So it might start off as like a plain sweater or t-shirt. And as the season goes on, uh, let's say there's a graphic or some kind of like uh, uh, element that could be added to a garment, whether it's an embroidery or applique. Um, instead of having people buy a whole new garment, um, allowing people to bring back the previous garment, um, obviously that they bought from us and um, allowing them to like update the the piece um opposed to just buying a, a whole nother piece um so yeah that's kind of like where i'm at in terms of a a buyback program per se but um at the moment yeah nothing really okay thank you so much spencer and alexia i'm also thinking about the you know the love like a journey around the um, using blockchain and obviously working with a range of brands to be able to adapt this uh, where do you see the, the biggest opportunity or the immediate interest from brands? Is it uh, for putting it on new garments? Have you received any feedback from any of the brands that are using it? And uh, what business models uh, where we have the opportunity to push further to achieve real circularity? Yep. Um, I would say one of the big incentives is to be able, well, I would say to uh, in terms of implementing the journey, the product timeline, um, on one hand, it's of course being able to show the end customer uh, their sustainable and circular efforts, but then also, um, as mentioned, being able to retarget that end customer. So for example, if a brand sells through a retailer, as of now, they would, they would like lose touch with that end customer. They wouldn't know who has bought it. But with the blockchain technology and the timeline, you are still able to see who bought it, even if the retailer is in between. And likewise, if that end customer uh, sells it to someone else, then you can continue to follow who is the current owner of that garment. And so the different uh, circular business models that you can apply, uh, apart from the take back programs to, to re-monetize from that same garment, is you can also apply, yeah, as you mentioned, um, rentals, swapping. So we are actually applying the the rental um, the rental system with with a big company that um, I cannot name at the moment, but um, they are they are working on implementing the technology to make the rental experience more engaging and more seamless. And then uh, likewise, we also implements the swap events, which are great for community building and increasing traffic and also awareness around a brand. So what the swap events consist of is 
um, having a station with with um, with clothing racks, and people can bring in a, a garments that they don't want anymore and exchange it for free for another one. So there's no monetary monetary transaction. It's all recirculating of garments and extending the life cycle of a garment. And we have activated this across various fashion weeks and stores around the world. So um, one of the reasons why we chose to activate it in fashion weeks is that that really elevates the concept of acquiring a secondhand garment. So it's helping to shift this mentality of, I can only buy firsthand. That's great. And uh, do you see, because there's a moment where we're going to have, uh, hopefully, we're going to all have uh, garments that are all blockchain traceable, and we can also confidently say it's first and second hand, it's a genuine product. Uh, and even the story around where things come from, do you, are you seeing brands using blockchain to be able to embed information around everything from uh, not only transparency, but traceability of the use, but also traceability from uh, the beginning uh, in terms of the raw material that went into it, where it's produced, that's already embedded. And then is there a place where we'll see potentially a virtual wardrobe where all my blockchain items are visible uh, so that I can actually even manage everything digitally? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So with the system that we've developed, um, so the platform that this happens through is called Spin. And when you acquire a garment through Spin, uh, you actually on the platform do have a digital wardrobe. So that um, that piece will go into your digital wardrobe. And so if you want to resell it or, or swap it or, or donate it or whatever it may be, you can just with one click pass it on. So you don't need to re-upload that garment as you would currently with other uh, secondhand platforms. And mm, would also like to uh, like to clarify that on Spin, it's not only about secondhand. So we're really uh, merging all the different ways that you can acquire a garment. So firsthand, you know, pre-order, um, but then also rental swap and secondhand sales. So it's really everything that involves extending the life cycle of a garment. So also we'll be adding um, the product care section because it's also really important to, to think about repair. Um, you know, a lot of people now, if, if their garment tears, they just think of throwing it away. And a lot of times it's very well salvageable. So that's a very important category as well. That, that makes sense. And uh, just a quick question to Nick about use of VR in fashion as well. I'm even even on behalf of Spencer and other designers, I would love to ask how easy it is for uh, fashion brands, especially the smaller brands, if they don't have a very large team to be able to engage uh, with their products digitally. Is it a very specific format they need to do all of? Do they have to work with a different expert team or is it easy to bring on uh, the designs they're creating into the virtual reality space? Um, as of right now, it's challenging and it involves, um, yeah, kind of a lot of technical work, um, but it's the goal of my team and also why we have been working with CFS and Alexia and her team there just to find 
solutions to really democratize it and to make it for the future that it's not just huge brands, but it can be solo developers and even potentially to the day of hobbyists that that my mom crochets a, a hat and then she can easily get it to me for my avatar to wear in the virtual cold. But it's definitely gonna be time, but that's the direction that, that we're putting a lot of energy to. That's amazing. And uh, hopefully that crochet hat from your mom is going to be very popular and she will suddenly have to produce 100 <laughs> more of those. <laughs> But uh, I mean, honestly, we can also say that there are other ways they, that any designer brand or an individual can engage, correct? So number one is if, if you have created a 2D video, it's possible easily to experience that in a 3D setting. You can get into conversations around fashion in a, a 3D virtual reality setting. And uh, you can also show uh, the flat images of any garments in the virtual reality space and be able to explain it. Uh, I, yeah. Am I correct? Yep. Definitely. Like uh, last year, the Circular Fashion Summit event, they had, uh, I, I don't know how many designers, but dozens of designers who were all showcasing their their collections and everything inside of virtual reality. And what they'd done last year was given them each kind of their own small room. And then they decorated that room with non VR media of their items. And then the designers were in the space where they could connect with people. And I met some great designers who shared their stories and yeah. And the, the, the level Uh, to get involved in that way wasn't very high and yeah that the goal is that how they could get involved with those things that it'll be just as easy in the future with getting your digital twin or a 360 experience of your show yeah, yeah thank you for that um, daniel i think we can open it up question to questions as well right i think uh, oh yes totally Thank you so much, speakers, for just shedding light across the different um, fields of fashion that you're working in. So now, uh, if there are any uh, community members to maybe ask some questions to the speakers, they'll be very happy to answer. I was wondering, for example, maybe Nick, this is more for you as uh, you've been working in VR for a number of years. Uh, I would say almost, you know, uh, we could say a godfather of VR almost because it's not because you're old, but because it's very new technology. <laughs> so I would say, um, for example, if you'd like to just maybe explain to the audience, if you are, for example, to buy a garment, uh, digital garment in VR, uh, are there any platforms out there at the moment that make this easy for customers? Uh, what is the current experience for uh, buying these digital garments and where can you wear them at the moment? Yeah, so now there are a lot of different virtual kind of worlds or universes and everyone has some kind of avatar customization and things. And there's a couple different versions. Um, one app Engage, they have a like a, a free clothing set and then they have the kind of paid premiere version where you can get all the extra fancy clothes. Um, and then you can choose to wear those in that space. And um, another app that has paid clothing is Rec Room. 
where you can buy like a kind of virtual virtual dollars and then you use those to buy all kinds of garments that you store in your room and then when you go out you can dress to impress fantastic thank you so much thank you so much lorenzo uh, maybe if we have anyone to also ask some questions all right we've got joey pringle hi joey hey everyone uh daniel so it's good to connect with you guys at last and um hear this amazing conversation um about myself quickly i um i own a factory in uh, guangzhou china so when it comes to circularity um for me um right now my biggest goal is kind of cleaning up manufacturing and um kind of cleaning up the linear model with transparency and sustainability but moving forward as a conscious factory owner making product that is um kind of built for the circular economy is is fundamental but um i guess the vibe of this conversation is so advanced into the future um the question is for nick when you're talking about digitalizing a thousand pieces how do you think that will affect factories in the in, in the longer term with kind of the moqs being such a headache and hurdle for brands and factories to kind of stay operational the minute we become um into this digital world and non-tangible world it makes things more complex for a factory so even though i want to support the circular economy when we start making nothing which is brilliant is going to put factories out of business so i'm just interested to see what you guys think about from the raw material manufacturer side of things how they can approach the um the virtual reality um mindset I think up till now, it's definitely like a, a purchase of a virtual clothing doesn't, I guess it definitely doesn't positively affect um, real world purchases. Though I think with things uh, like CFS is working on with the blockchain, where things are actually connected and that your virtual clothing is virtual versions um, of real clothing, I think that is actually going to encourage people in some ways like uh, I have a beautiful bag that I bought for my avatar but I know that it has a physical twin and I love taking it around to virtual clubs and I'm going to want to take it offline and that's when you can connect the two and I think with that sort of virtual clothing that's not just a virtual piece but it also has a physical counterpart that will kind of connect to real world purchases and other things, I think as people start to create more things digitally and like if uh, one piece has a thousand different versions, I think we're also going to see new kinds of manufacturing pop up that can really supply that physical kind of customization that people will get used to digitally. And so people kind of, if, if designers can make a thousand pieces, then as they get connected with physical pieces, I think there will be kind of changes to it as, as already there have been with some brands that offer really custom things from custom fits to every item. I think that's only going to increase as designers have the freedom to create more. Uh, factories are going to innovate to also 
fill that demand and create smaller runs or individual runs. Great. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. And um, I feel there's a lot of synergies there with um, that the idea is to slow down manufacturing, making more meaningful pieces and educating my clients, really the ones I'm moving forward with to um, start digitalizing their sample process. So like what Spencer was talking about, there's so much room to save time for us in our sample room by working in the digital sample format. It saves cost, it saves raw material. And then, yeah, the end goal is to, um, to, to, to produce way less, but produce stuff that you know people are gonna buy. So with the VR world, that's really giving that platform to people to know exactly what they need to buy when it comes to that physical, physical piece. Um, Spencer, I loved what you, um, you're doing as a designer. I'm a designer myself, but I couldn't do any more designing because I just didn't think I'll be achieving anything. So I started a factory, but you are the kind of the mindset I would love to, um, to speak further with because I feel like we see eye to eye. And um, Yeah, I, I just followed you. I love what you're doing. Nice. Well, let's, um, let's try and make something happen. But um, I just want to touch on another initiative that we're looking at as a factory. Um, there's a lot of product already made sitting in warehouses right now and moving forward this year we're looking into a way where um, we're taking 2,000 units of unsold product that is kind of it's going out of fashion it's going out of season and we're looking at taking that back off the brand and simply adjusting like an, an embroidery technique or taking the handle off and redoing the handle in a color that's trending so there's lots of initiatives with current stock. So, I mean, if there's any designers out there who like have, you know, I mean, like huge inventory of product and they need to find a way to kind of resell it, we're looking into this, these types of initiatives to kind of take that back to a factory, kind of give it a new walk of life to kind of put it back out into the system. And then more importantly, um, just getting product, encouraging brands to, um, to think about how they, um, they, they shift gears from the linear model to the circular model with um, selling that product three or four times over. So, I mean, our goal is we, we specialize in high-end luxury, but our goal is to, just, is to keep it super high-end, super durable. So when you're selling the bag five times over, it's as good as buying a new one. But um, thanks for putting this group together. Um, and Daniel, I look forward to connecting next week. And um, yeah, amazing conversation and love being part of it. Thank you so much, Joey. Hey Hi, guys. Janice. <laughs> Hi. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. I would like to ask a question maybe um, before I ask that. Uh, I'm a, <clears throat> an, an entrepreneur from Switzerland. So hi to everybody. Um, <clears throat> I have a question in regards to the life cycle of the product. So it's basically related to the blockchain technology of, of Lablaco. <clears throat> because I'm looking into creating basically a full life cycle of, uh, of a product. <clears throat> Let's say we have a organic t-shirt <clears throat> made from organic cotton. And uh, when you, when we have, you know, uh, in a blockchain, the full traceability, you know, what happens and maybe, you know, the t-shirt has been reused by some, somebody else. Uh, do you have the possibility already, maybe you have it, um, to, you know, to give it back to the brand or to the manufacturer to create basically or to recycle or to create a new product, product out of that? Yeah. Hi, Janice. 
Uh, thank you for your question. So yeah, this is what we were um, mentioning about the take back program. So with the technology, um, the consumer of the garment is added to the timeline. So this means that not only the brand, but also all the supply chain players can see where that product has gone to. So in what hands they are in currently. And then you can retarget um, that customer taking it back by, for example, offering a discount on something new. And then you can uh, take it and upcycle it, recycle it, resell it, or, or whatever it may be. And then that second life can actually also be traced. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. I wanted to uh, briefly also add to Joy's question about the fact of the factories uh, actually starting to produce a little bit less. Um, I would say it's definitely uh, not going to, I would say, make the industry less profitable for manufacturing. I, I just think probably from uh, my point of view, the uh, simple KPIs are going to move with this new business models. And as Alexia was saying before, a little bit like the music industry where, you know, the KPIs was really about how many records did you sell? Uh, that's how music artists made money by, you know, printing plastic CDs, shipping them around the world. And for example, you know, for Michael Jackson, the KPI was how many uh, records did he sell, right? So it's a record sold. Uh, well, now, you know, if it's Justin Bieber, he's not really making money printing plastic CDs. He's making money by, uh, you know, streaming, by getting followers on his channels and he's monetizing in different ways. He's not monetizing less than music artists of the past. Uh, he's monetizing in a different way. So I think that like every disruption, uh, there's going to be a little bit of, I would say, assessment in the, in the industry, but both for brands and manufacturers, uh, the opportunities are are huge. It's just about understanding, you know, if you're a manufacturer, how are you managing that uh, factory? Are you in introducing uh, automation? Are you introducing uh, 3D printing? Are you introducing made to order with digital platforms? Are you introducing take back programs to fix products instead of just manufacturing brand new products? Are you selling the waste that falls on the ground, which before used to be just, you know, thrown away? Now you can sell it to be upcycled into new fibers. So I think there's just so many new uh, different business models that can be applied in this new industry, which we see as the digitized and connected uh, circular fashion industry that, you know, I think with, with time we'll kind of find out, but I, I would definitely not be afraid of uh, producing less. I think it's just a matter of uh, new ways of monetizing manufacturing really. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Lorenzo. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's an exciting time. Yeah, we can't, manufacturers can't live in fear and it's just about adjusting and um, just collaborating with uh, these minds to support these initiatives and um, just to get them off the ground. And I, I feel manufacturers should be working with brands more. So when the brand is selling that product, the manufacturer is benefiting as well from that product staying in circulation. So it just takes the pressure off the MOQs knowing that you're still bringing in revenue with life after um, after production. So, I mean, yeah, exciting times for sure. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get stuck into these initiatives. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, manufacturers like yourselves, uh, I think you guys are gonna be 
the famous brands of this new decade. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, many different examples, like, you know, before you order a cafe latte or something, you never thought about what milk you wanted in your, in your milk, tea or, or coffee, right? And now Oatly managed to create this incredible supply chain, if you want, brand of coffee, right? Which is, you know, a, an oat uh, milk that goes in your, <laughs> in your coffee, right? So in the same way, I think that also with manufacturers, we're gonna see really famous brands in this new decade where customers will actually recognize them. Um, and it's gonna bring even more value to the garments once these famous uh, new manufacturers uh, will come out and understand also how to communicate to the end customer, which I think, Joy, uh, you're probably already a little bit in that direction. Your branding is very clear. I've seen you on socials and uh, your logo and everything. So I think, you know, just more uh, sophisticated manufacturers that follow the rules uh, are going to be so much more, uh, you know, successful than the ones that do not follow ethics and all that. So definitely a lot of business is going to go away, but a lot of business is going to go to the ones that are working properly, I, I, I hope. And I, I, I'd probably predict. <laughs> Thanks, Lorenzo. Um, yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're an OEM manufacturer, so we're only producing for other brands. So we are reliant on working with the right brands to, um, to make these changes happen. Down the road, we might look at having our own collections, but right now it's, it's really supporting the likes of a company and a mindset like Spencer to, to make that change. So um, yeah, we're, we're excited to see what happens. Oh yeah, no, definitely. But uh, what I mean is that having the blockchain traceability, it means that you can be a brand before Spencer Batter's brand. So still shining a light on the, on the uh, creative brands, but there's also going to be supply chain brands from ingredient manufacturers, garment manufacturers, like Goretex is an example, right? I mean, it's not very sustainable, but it's definitely quite famous as a, as a fabric, right? So that kind of brands, I think also as a factory uh, to build a solid brand, I think it's gonna be very important uh, to really invest on branding and communicating also to the end customers that are gonna buy a Spencer Badu uh, piece, but you know, who's making that, right? So no one really knows what's sure. happening in, in the supply chain. All right, thank you so much to all our speakers for joining and just sharing on ways we can all grow as an industry in digitizing um, the fashion industry. So without um, further ado, I would love to thank everyone, the whole community for joining in. And uh, for those uh, joining us for the first time, and you would love to know more, more information about the Circular Fashion Summit, you can kindly visit at circularfashionsummit.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at um, Circular Fashion Summit. It's, it's CFS by Labical, and the same as LinkedIn at Circular Fashion Summit. Thank you so much, everyone. We hope to see you next time and have an amazing week. Thank you so much. And thank you, Daniel. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you, you so very much, much, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Great thanks to all of the speakers for this CFS seminar. This was a highly interesting and valuable conversation, which I'm sure you'll agree featured many actionable insights. You can now subscribe to CFS Podcast. On this show, we'll be sharing knowledge and experience from global fashion industry leaders in design, technology, sustainability, media, and so much more. Further talks from CFS seminars are on the way. And thanks again to our sponsors, Unity and Unilever. 
you can visit our website at circularfashionsummit.com. I'm Nick Collins and see you again soon for CFS Podcast. Thank you.